0: Only if you ready, 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 Let's go.
1: Hello, and welcome to Divine Enigma, a podcast about how to navigate through the complexities of the workplace as a modern day professional, whilst also having a side hustle simultaneously. My name is Sarah, your host for the podcast, and this is episode five of the show. This podcast will be available on all platforms where you can find podcasts, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. For today's episode, we have a special guest on the show, and that guest is my mum. Hi, mum. You need to come closer to the mic, mum. Hello, Sarah. How are you today? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. And how was your week?
0: Mm, Not too bad. Okay. Did you
1: do anything good this week? No, I just relaxed. Okay. Um, yeah. So, Mum, since you're on the famous <laughs> Divine Enigma Ed- podcast, is there anything you want to talk about in terms of what you're currently doing? What's your current situation?
0: Well, at the moment, I've, I've just retired, so I'm a lady of pleasure. <laughs>
1: Um and what do you normally do on your you know, your day to day? Give us a typical day as a retired lady of leisure living in the UK, living in London right now, for you? Well I go
0: I go to the shops or, or go go for afternoon tea <laughs> and lunch.
1: Is that every day mm. or that is just no, that, no. that's not a typical
0: day? But you that's do that's not a big, typical day, but uh, a typical day is mainly going to the shops. mm mm-hmm.
1: And what kind of shops? Just the supermarket? A
0: supermarket. Or, yeah, go to the shopping centres mm-hmm. just to browse about.
1: Okay. Mm. <laughs> so you're on the Neurodiversity podcast. This podcast talks about working as a professional in um the neurodiversity space. And we're going to talk a little bit about your working history and... A little bit about you and neurodiversity so let's give let's give the audience a little bit of a picture mum about you know where was your first job you know what did you do how what was your career like up to between when you started your first job to now that you're a retired lady of leisure oh,
0: well my first job was um, lab te- a lab technician i was working in the pharmaceutical Lab, mm-hmm. and I did that for about five years, mm-hmm. and then I came to England. I was actually uh, trading, buying and selling.
1: So, what year did you come to England?
0: Uh, late seventies, nineteen seventy-eight.
1: And then you were just trading. Yeah. Goods. What? What, what were you buying? Oh,
0: mainly uh, clothes, high fashion. Clothes,
1: and then when you bought those clothes, you would go back to Ghana and sell them. Yeah,
0: I used to sell them. Yeah, sell them.
1: Okay, and you made quite a lot of money doing that. Oh yes. Okay, so yes, did. And how long did you do that for? Oh, I did
0: that for about three years. Because when I was working, I was still uh, doing doing it during my holidays.
1: So. Just let me explain to the audience. Basically, my mum was working as a lab technician, and then as I guess what we call side hustles, <laughs> she was going to the UK. You were going to also Italy as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the UK, Italy, and where else did you go, Mum? In
0: Nigeria and Ivory Coast. Nigeria,
1: Ivory Coast. Any other countries you went yeah. no, so she went to? Yeah. So she went to those countries, and then she would buy fashion goods or clothes, yeah? Jewelry. Jewelry and things like that. And then she'll come back to Ghana and then she'll sell them at a profit, yeah? And you'll mm-hmm. make like, quite a lot of money. It was yeah. quite lucrative. And you did it, whilst you were working as a lab technician, were you doing it like on the weekends and your days off or just mm-hmm. during the time you took annual mm-hmm. leave?
0: or took so leave. Or sometimes I might have a long weekend and I just literally jump on the plane and go, Go quickly and come back,
1: so you would so maybe yeah. picture this in your mind, maybe you'll take a plane, go on Friday, I guess, fly yeah. to the u k was it London you would go to yeah, go to London yeah. and then buy stuff from London. were there particular places in London where you would buy these these goods? Oh yeah, I used to go to with back mhm- and then buy the, buy those
0: designer clothes.
1: So when you went to where were you staying when you went to London? Would you stay in a hotel? Well, I
0: used to stay. Oh. I stayed with friends. Or sometimes I stay in a hotel. Okay. And then sometimes, depending on the time I come, there's one particular day. I think it was a it was a Tuesday, and normally on Tuesdays, we, once I reach, Heathrow on on uh, Tuesday morning. I just take the. Straight to uh, Finsbury Park, get all what I have to get, and then go back to the airport and travel back to Ghana. What, on the same day? On the same day. Oh, wow. Well, I live there, as in, because it's a night flight. But well, for instance, I leave Ghana on Monday evening, reach a Tuesday morning, and then the same plane is going back Tuesday night. Okay, so then uh, once I've got so everything you, that I needed, yeah, I'll travel back. So you use to those Ghana, few so hours i reach, I reach Ghana uh, Wednesday morning, ah, and then I'll have a couple of days' rest. So that was okay. what, so that was quite intense, yeah, that
1: was quite intense. Okay, so I used
0: to do that once a month, okay, and it you make and squeeze it, yeah,
1: okay, you make quite a bit of money just buying, selling, buying
0: yeah, selling.
1: it, was, okay. it was So that was that was in the, <laughs> the late seventies. Um and all through the, so in the 80s. 80s. And then what happened after that point? You said you did that for about three years, you said, yeah? Yeah, they
0: had a, a, a military coup in Ghana. So, you know, people couldn't go and come all the airports. The, the basically the country was very there was unrest. So nobody could do anything. The army
1: so could the,
0: you, the the army has taken over the country.
1: Okay. Could you yeah. explain to the listeners what a coup is? Because some people might not understand yeah, what that what, is.
0: When the military government takes over and topples the government and then they go there and start ruling the country, that's basically that's all I can how yeah. I can explain. And it. what
1: what what are the implications of a coup? Does that mean like what does that mean for the country in terms of yeah unrest.
0: right it's it's it's,
1: not like a war
0: but everything it's like uh, they are Mm dictating so nobody can do anything because they've got guns and everything running routing (laughs) everywhere so you know that was why i decided to Well not to go back.
1: So at the time when all this was going on in Ghana, you were on your like general trips with buying and selling, but you ended up staying in the UK. Yeah, luckily I was I was here when that happened. Okay. So So, um, what happened obviously you were in the UK. um, What happened now that you're in the UK? Like tell us give the listeners a little bit of a um like a taste of what was going on, mum. Yeah,
0: so I stayed hoping things would calm down, but it didn't. And then uh, during that time, uh, I met your dad, and so
1: decided to settle down. So I yeah, got married. So and so cut everything a, changed. So cut a long story short, there was a lot of issues in Ghana. You decided to stay in mm-hmm. the UK, met my dad, got married, had me, had my younger brother, and. The rest, I guess, is history. Yes. So that was basically... So we want to kind of skip over that bit. So you're now... You've now had... Let's say you've had me now. You're married. So what were you doing then? How were you supporting... Was it my dad supporting you? How were you supporting yourself and your daughter at the time, which is me, yes. when, we were, when I was really, really
0: young? Yes, I was actually... Before you were born, I, I just got a job at a catering company. You know, serving teas, uh, serving teas, and coffees, and helping with the lunches. Basically, I was a catering assistant. Okay. And then the the company went bust, so I had to go. And I went and trained as a chef.
1: Okay. So okay. It's, <clears throat> so it's quite key. So obviously, when you are working for an organization, you should you shouldn't put all your eggs in one basket. Essentially, you should always. Have a mindset of upskilling or mm. training because if if like company in my mom's case goes bust or they make you redundant or whatever the case may be and you're not skilled you might be in a very difficult position mm. of, in, in terms of getting employment. So it's always I think even myself I think it's always important to, important to even go in, on job interviews even when you have a job because it actually it trains you to be better and you kind of have an idea of what the market's like. So even if you say I don't want the job you put yourself out there to kind of give you that mm. that ability to show that, actually, you know what? I If if, if push comes to shove and this job doesn't work out, I know I can get another job. Mm-hmm. So it's quite good to kind of get yourself in, in that mindset and be always constantly training. So, I'll go on, continue with the story.
0: Yes, yeah, so I trained and then I got uh, City and Guilds Soap 1 and 2 and then I did a uh, hotel management. mm mm-hmm. And so I got a job which paid better than when I was uh, a catering assistant, and then uh, after that I had, even when I had you, I was still working. But then when I had Sarah, the childcare cost was too much. Sorry, when I had Simon, <laughs> she
1: always does this. She confuses us. She calls me. Me, Sarah, Simon, and we're, we're both different sexes, but she'll be calling me Simon, she'll be calling us Sarah. So I imagine if she had 20 kids. she probably confuse all of us. So anyway,
0: <laughs> yeah, so I stopped. So I was doing, uh, you know, agency work, like nights work and everything on you know, weekends. And so I juggled the, looking after you too, with all jobs here and there until you were old enough uh, to be, you know, to look after yourself.
1: So just to give you a little bit of um, background so that the the listeners don't get too confused, I have a younger brother, his name's called Simon, and I'm older than my younger brother, obviously. So my mum had me first and then my brother, and then um, she was talking about how she juggled the, um, I guess the the complexity of being a parent, looking after myself and my younger brother and then also trying to somehow have a career. So you would do different different jobs. I mean you did lots of jobs mum. Like I don't think people I think she's my mum's really understanding herself. She did a lot of things. Um that any job that was available, she did it. There was even things that you did as like your own little business that you used to make cakes. For weddings, mm. engagement parties, birthday parties, and then people would buy cakes from you. Mm. So that was thing she did. What else, Mum, did you do?
0: Mm. I used to cook for people uh, at parties. To parties, rice, yeah, yes. chicken,
1: yeah. I did all that. So all those little things were ways that my mum made money, not just relying on like an employer to give her a paycheck, but actually using the skills that she had already to enable her to make an income for her family. And these are the things that I guess a lot of us that come from the diaspora um, have parents who did so many different things just to, you know, keep the household going uh, because they want the opportunities. So, Mum Karen. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, that's true. So that was what I did. And then when you got older... I had I started suffering from uh, osteoarthritis in the knee, Mm. therefore I couldn't really do all those jobs. So I went into the office to become an admin administrator because of the skills I had before. Yeah, so I worked in the office for another I think three or four years, and then I got made redundant. And then from there, I went into um, university to train as a social worker.
1: So before we kind of skip to that bit, Mum, mm-hmm. <laughs> how old were you when you were made redundant to the time that you stopped working to the point when you went to university?
0: My was I, was, I was 50 when I got made redundant. And when did you go uni? 52. Because I did, and I said one year access course, Mm -hmm. and then I went to uni, yeah.
1: So So at 51, yeah. 51. So at 50, my mum was made redundant. She didn't let redundancy define her. She decided, actually, that's fine. Let me go and retrain to do something else. Mm -hmm. You went to do an access course. I don't know if access courses are still around anymore, but I'm not sure. (laughs) but like she did an access course the access course is normally for people who are going into adult further education is that right mum something like that um maybe you did your a levels long time like a long time ago like it's not really made for people who are just like coming out of college or uni but it's more for people that have you know life experience experience of life but they want to go to uni so you did the access course and then from the access course, she went on to go and do your degree yeah. in social work. Mm. So now you're doing your degree in social work. We want to move into the, the, when you were diagnosed with a neurodiversity. Mm. So you're neurodivergent, mum. Just like me, I'm neurodivergent. I have, I have dyslexia yeah. and ADHD. In the second year. So in the second year of yeah. your studies, yeah. how old are you then? Well, I'm 53. So at 53, mum... My mum was diagnosed with what were you diagnosed with? Tell the listeners. Oh, dyslexia
0: and I uh, can't remember the other word. Dyslexia and dyspraxia. Or something.
1: Dyspraxia. Mm. So dyslexia and dyspraxia, which are both types of neuro mm. diverse diverse conditions. Um, so imagine if you think about it, all your life you had this condition. You were more like you were, I guess managing multiple priorities, mm-hmm. so things like your family, your career, being a wife, you know, being a mother, mm-hmm. all those things, you were trying to manage that, and underneath all of that, you had dyslexia, and dyspraxia, mm-hmm. and you didn't know you had these conditions, mm-hmm. or maybe you maybe you didn't know, it, or maybe you knew something that wasn't quite right, but you didn't know what the word was, to no. kind of explain what it was, well, I
0: knew talk, talk. I, I struggle to do certain tasks, mm-hmm. so probably I thought, well, maybe that's how I'm made, so I just get on with it, or repeat it and go around and round and around.
1: around. Mm.
0: So I created my own coping mechanism.
1: Yeah. So a lot of people that don't know they have like dyslexia or a type of neurodiversity, they, they kind of mask i think that's the term they mask it mm-hmm. and they just try to fit in with like everyone else and the groups of people that tend to mask quite um often are are women are people of color black people they tend to mask it because if if you go into an industry and already you've got a couple of things that are holding you back like being a woman is is it's tough being black is difficult and then on top of that you have you know a disability that people class as a disability as I don't, I don't see neurodiversity as a form of disability I, I feel it's a gift but people just don't understand it and they just see it as an inconvenience and I don't see that anyone with neurodiversity should be seen as an inconvenience it's just the way they learn the way their mind is created is different mm. from neurotypical people and I think people need to change their mindset on how they view people that are neurodiverse this is part of the reason why I'm doing this podcast to get people to have that awareness that just because you learn differently doesn't mean that you are less than or you are an inconvenience to an organisation mm-hmm. or wherever you are you bring a lot to the yes, table yes, and um, yeah so having that just just talking about your work history mum, actually a testimony to people that may have neurodiversity and think they're oh i can't do anything but you are clearly someone who's shown evidence that despite the fact you had dyslexia and not known you had dyslexia for up to 53 years of your life and having a new and having dyspraxia you still achieved quite a lot of things you had a business you did side hustles you had a family um, you achieve so much, but if you put the disability first that people like to refer to it as, people would have just thought, oh, she can't achieve anything. Mm-hmm. So I think um, if you're listening out here and you have like a neuro um, diverse condition, just see that it's not something that you should be ashamed of and it's not something that you should see as a bad thing. It's mm-hmm. actually something quite powerful to have and you can use it to your advantage. And my mum's a, a testimony to yeah. that. Um, but you were diagnosed at 53 with um, dyslexia and dyspraxia. Yeah. So when you got that diagnosis, um, in fact, actually talk me through how you were diagnosed and ha- what the process was and how do, how did you feel after the whole process of being diagnosed?
0: Oh, oh yeah, it was one of my unique uh, colleagues who dragged me down to the disability centre and then they booked an assessment for me. Mm-hmm. So when there is. Um, but you
1: were reluctant. You didn't want I didn't to go. Want to go no. Yeah.
0: But I mean, I've lived with it all my life. So I didn't think it would be useful. Mm-hmm. So she said, no, you've got nothing to lose. So anyway, they did it. The results came. And uh, they actually put a lot of support in place. So many things. Uh, I had access to a quiet room uh, to do my work. Mm-hmm. My. The, I was given a laptop, oh, its adaptations,
2: mm.
0: actually tailored, made for me. And uh, the software was actually tailored, made for me, I should say.
1: You didn't talk about the actual test itself. I mean, I, oh, let me, God, I've, God. I've done a dyslexia test, so I got diagnosed. My head like... was
0: bursting. Yeah. That's why I didn't even want to go through that. <laughs> it, too solid hours mm. or probably more.
1: That you're and going through different questions yeah, and, tests, so then, and you have
0: to count things from back to yeah, back.
1: It, it's, I couldn't do it's like doing a, a mental and then you have to be yeah, know, picking up bricks and all sorts. Yeah, it's like it's like a mental <laughs> it's like yeah. a mental um Olympics that you're doing in your head. It's really, really tough. Um but they need to put you through those things so they can be sure that you have the disability. And when you did do it, mum, did you not feel a sense of freedom or you didn't or how did you feel afterwards I shouldn't be putting words in your mouth but like mm. how did you feel after you, you now knew ah oh, now I have dyslexia and I have dyspraxia. does it, did it go oh it makes sense or how did you feel afterwards
0: yeah it, it made sense because I thought because you had it mm-hmm. if you didn't if, uh, if I was diagnosed before you I would have felt differently but because you've been through it Looking at all the reports that came, it, I was okay with it.
1: Yeah, so I, I knew what to expect. I had, I had, I told you, mum, I'm going to have a dyslexia test. Yes. my university is going to pay for mm. me to get it done. And this is the outcome. And I told you, mum, it was quite tough. But I, I told you that I felt good knowing that I had dyslexia because it meant that I got all the support I needed. Yeah, you did have to struggle. Yeah, because I mean, the
0: first year I used to take. Instead of three hours to study, sometimes the whole week, I'm going over it and over it and over.
1: Yeah. So now, so what support did you um? Uh, what support did you get when you now found out? Okay, you have dyslexia. As I
0: said earlier, they provided me with a laptop, mm-hmm. and they installed the software which actually met my needs. Mm-hmm. So that made life easy, and I had extra time to, for the essays and uh, the exam. Mm-hmm. So that actually that extra I think it was 20 minutes per um, an hour's work. so those 20 minutes, I used to use it to read over my work mm-hmm. and that really improved my marks, <laughs> even though I was still doing quite well, but it got better. The only reason why I was doing uh, well in, with my assignments and all, I used to put a lot of time in and more extra effort.
1: Yeah. You you always find you do more when yeah. you have a disability or a, a neuro, and a learning difference. I don't like referring... It's, it's quite tiring. Yeah. I, I don't like referring uh-huh. people who have neurodiverse conditions as disabled because it's not the same thing, you just learn differently. Yeah, so I was a bit relaxed, Mm.
0: you know, I still put in there for, but I got, it it really, it was just normal. Mm.
1: So, Mum, what would you say to people that, you know, get diagnosed late or who think they may have dyslexia or a neurodiverse condition? Yeah, I think they should go
0: and get themselves tested. And I mean, even if the university didn't pay, I'll try and find the money somewhere How mm. and get it done because it's it the best thing that will happen to anybody.
1: Mm, I, I mean, as an adult, it's the, it, I mean, you do get a lot of help as a child, but as an adult, it's quite expensive right, to get these diagnostic tests done, for things like autism, dyslexia, they're very expensive. So if you can... Speak to your GP. Speak to your, you know, your general care professional. Anybody that works in the educational system that you might be in, even your employer, maybe ask them if they can help you, um, mm. you know, find out if you you may have a disability. Um, I think some employers get grants for people who are dyslexic or have neurodiverse conditions, and they can make these adaptations in the work. Place for you i will put information in the show notes of uh, information that you can find on dot gov uk for people that um feel they may have a disability that well a newer, a newer diversity or, or learning difference and um support that's out there for you to get tested let's move on to the next part of the show this is a safe place for project managers and professionals to give you the tools and how to navigate the complexity of being neurodiverse in the workplace. Um, and this is the next part of the show. So, Mum, we're going to do a quick fire round. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm going to ask you a few questions, and you're going to have to answer them with your chest, with your heart, the first response. So, the first one is remote work or working in the office? Remote work, sleeping in or early mornings. Early mornings. Looking for best offers or fine dining. Fine dining. Are you sure about that, Mum? Yes. But I thought you like cheap and cheerful. No, no, no. I, th- I, th- I
0: things. It <laughs> it's only I don't want to pay the full price. Okay, so you go
1: find different. You go find dining on a cheap price. On a yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, being alone to reflect on your thoughts or being with friends and family and feeding off their energy? Oh being with friends and family. And and feeding off your energy. Okay. So you like being around people? Yes. <laughs> okay, and the last one is football. I think there's a football game at the moment going on. I'm not into football, but anyway <laughs> or sneaker. At the moment, because the football is on
0: then football. and Ghana is playing, I'm just <laughs> going to watch. Not that I, under, I understand how it goes, but that's what I'm watching at the minute. Because
1: Ghana is playing, that's why. In the World Cup. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, cool. All right, then. So, uh, we've come to the end of the show. We talked about, well, we talked to my mum, basically, about her journey of... Her career, being a mom, being a wife, um, and navigating all those things with not without even knowing that she had a neurodiverse condition, which was dyslexia and dyspraxia, and it was really nice having my mum come on the show today. So I really, uh, I really hope you enjoy this podcast. It's a little different. It's not different, but it's like it's good for people to be interviewed and just to get like a feel of what it is really like to have a neurodiverse condition. So please follow me on all platforms where podcasts are uploaded. Thank you for listening to Divine Enigma. And if you've got to the end of the show, <laughs> this is a safe place. For project managers and professionals to give you the tools on how to navigate the complexity of being neurodiverse in the workplace. See you next week. Say say bye, Monster. <laughs>